You're listening to KJ Recaps. Welcome back to Stranger Things Season 3, Episode 3, The Case of the Missing Lifeguard. I am Jess. I am Kim. Hi, Kim. So I was thinking as I was watching this episode, we once had someone leave us um, a written review. I think it was on iTunes. And they said that one of the things that they liked was, you know, because we go through scene by scene and there's a lot of jump scares that it was like a nice way to know what was coming. Um, Yeah. They were actually like listening to the podcast before uh, watching the show, I think. That's right. And I've heard of people do that with scary things. And I am not that good with scary things either. And I actually wish that I had listened to our podcast before I watched this episode. I was like really? so anxious <laughs> watching moments of this. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So yes. we're out I there mean, doing a public was service. Suspenseful for sure. I mean, Billy and Heather are fucking oh, terrifying. Billy and Heather are so freaky. Uh, Nancy going into the basement, like. Oh, I know, Mrs. <laughs> Driscoll. What has happened to you? Ooh. So, yep. um, before we dive into all of these incredible scenes, welcome back. We are on episode three. We're going to go through this scene by scene, and as I just mentioned about a rating, it really helps other people find our podcast. If you're listening to this, if you don't mind dropping us a quick rating and review, this is really just a fun passion project side project that kim and i do this is not our day-to-day full-time jobs yet yeah um <laughs> it's hard to believe because we come across so professional i'm sure correctly yeah exactly <laughs> uh but yeah give us a rating review let us know what you think and leave us feedback to kjrecaps.com slash feedback or find us on facebook and twitter and let us know how you're finding the season so far um yes and what that would be really of- really helpful you guys i know that yeah. everybody asks you for that and until we started podcasting we didn't fully realize why <laughs> um and now but, i rate review everybody yeah yeah exactly because it is really really hard to get fa- found there are a lot of podcasts out there and some of them are much bigger than us and uh you know production companies and you know a lot of uh you know, money going into their podcasts. So, and we're just, (laughs) we're just amateurs who are doing this for fun. But of course, we still want to uh, reach as many people as possible. So ratings and reviews really, really help. And we would love your help to try to cut through the noise a little bit and find some more listeners. So thanks in advance. Perfect. Okay, so we are going to dive into this scene by scene. If Kim, do you want to set us up with this rather long cold open? um, It was long. Yeah. Uh, Yes, I would very much. Um, Okay, so Elle and Max are having a sleepover. It is delightful. They are dancing. (laughs) There's Ralph Macchio, who I also had a crush on when I was their age. Uh, Even though when I was their age, I think Ralph Macchio was probably 30 years old. But (laughs) I watched watched the Karate Kid when I was, you know, like when I was their age, even though it was an older movie for me. Uh, So there is lots of girl talk happening. It's a classic sleepover. Um, I do want to say, like, I do. I know we talked about the kids getting split up again in this season. But Elle having an actual friend who is a girl to be able to hang out with is like, I mean, I think she has had more lines in these past couple of episodes than she's been given in two seasons just because she can have actual conversations. I know. um, I love it. I mean, she definitely had in season one this great relationship with Mike where she was learning what it was like to have a friend. um, And, you know, she learned what it was like to live outside of the lab. But now we're seeing this friendship on a on a new and different level because uh, she has a girlfriend who she can talk about her boyfriend with and and experiencing all of the joys of being a girl, like the fashion and the dancing. And I don't know, whatever. Like, I know that that's sort of (laughs) a very sort of trivialized crime solving um, description of what it's like to be a girl but boys and solving mysteries this is that's right but uh, yeah I mean when you're 12 and 13 that does take up a lot of your you know headspace so uh anyway it's just fun to see them have fun um so they decide to use Elle's powers to spy on Mike and Lucas so they can see them inevitably pining over the girls uh, but instead, Elle sees a lot of uh, misguided opinions about <laughs> women, um, emotional eating, and flatulence. So not exactly. Notes. That is what verbatim what Kim has written. That is incredible. It's a good summary yeah. of what happens there. 
That's right. And I thought, it, you know, you're so used to seeing that space she goes in to look at people, you know, where it's all black, like that weird in-between area being for creepy purposes, which of course comes back later in this episode. But this one where you're just seeing for fun, the boys on a couch uh, is pretty hilarious. Like it's like a yes. weird juxtaposition. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, Hopper stumbles uh, back in after uh, his stand-up by Joyce at the restaurant. He is still drunk, and it is a bad look for Hopper. And he drove home. <laughs> like, I don't know how drunk he's supposed to be if he's just angry. Like, he had a scotch and part of a bottle of wine. I feel like that's how they're trying to make this be okay. But it's a weird mix of either he is angry and drunk or, I don't know, just angry. Anyway. It's I mean, he is definitely supposed to be drunk. They made a whole thing about him stumbling out of the restaurant. That's so. true. But he didn't have that much to drink cool for Hopper. a guy the size of David Harper either. So anyway. <laughs> and then also not cool, the like rage that he flies into immediately when he thinks that Elle is in the room with Mike. Yeah. Uh, but he very quickly changes his tune when he sees that it's actually Max in there and not Mike. He is instantly delighted by this uh, turn of events and quickly agrees to the sleepover so uh i don't know hopper you need to get your shit together <laughs> um so once hopper leaves the room ellen max devised this game of spin the bottle but it's with spying instead of kissing using uh using Elle's powers so billy is the uh the lucky or not so lucky winner and l enters this like dark place that we've seen before to spy on him and oh god creepy uh, so I didn't realize at first that, like, she can only see Billy. She cannot see the lifeguard, even though right. the scene that she's seeing is Billy talking to the lifeguard. And she can hear the lifeguard screaming. Heather, I should call her now. We know her name, though not in this scene. Um, so she hears what Billy is saying to Heather. She hears Heather screaming. And then as she approaches Billy, he seems to sense that she's there. And when he turns around, like, in the factory, he sees yeah. her sort of, like, um appear in front of him like there's this uh the like he the lifting of the veil between the two spaces and he can see l and then he dissipates from the black space and l can't see him anymore and then she like rips off her blindfold terrified credits um so after the credits uh it's the next morning and (laughs) will the wise will is still hard on the D &D train here he wakes mike and lucas and declares it to be a day free of girls he set up the board he's got you know his whole campaign planned mike and lucas are clearly not into it um which of course is going to culminate throughout this episode but yes i feel so bad for will this episode yeah I I mean I I do I think that Mike has a point in that they have grown up their interests have changed and and whatever but at the same time I don't feel like they're handling it well they're not handling Will's feelings they're you know I think they realize after the fact when they try to remedy it later in the episode yeah. but it's I just really feel for him Do you feel that there's so I'm going to jump to a later scene here but there is a moment where you know, Mike clearly says that that Will isn't into girls. And I know there's been discussions for two and a half seasons now as to Will potentially being gay. Did you feel that that was a direct call out to that and Will's reaction potentially? Because I do wonder if that's one of his comfort. Like he just doesn't see himself in this girl obsessed kind of world. Um, and that's part of his lack of comfort, not just like an immaturity thing. Well, I I definitely think that it could be uh, and uh, that it did occur to me in that scene. And yet at the same time, we're really kind of seeing Will not having an interest not only in girls, but in relationships, it seems like, you know, if he were interested in boys instead of girls, it wouldn't necessarily. uh, But I don't know in 1985 if it would be that easy then, you know, no, you're you're very that's very true. That is very true. It's a much less friendly time to come out. And maybe like his coping mechanism is to be like, well, I'm just not going to like age into it, you know, Um, very true. And it it absolutely could be. I um I I definitely think that that line could have been alluding to it uh and yet I don't necessarily think that it was explicit because 
I I think there is still a chance that, you know, Will's uh, obsession with childhood and more childish things might be simply that he hasn't sort of like reached a level of interest in either boys or girls yet. Um, But, uh, you know, that may not be the case and he may in fact be gay. I know that it is something that um, that has been speculated before and this this very well could be it saying it pretty explicitly and I'm just not, you know, getting the explicit cue. And not to say that adults can't be interested in D&D as we know that many, many are. Kim herself. Um, I play it now. <laughs> Correct. So <laughs> remember in, se- yeah. in season one, uh, the... Uh, playing of D&D <laughs> looked so interesting to me that I actually like sought out people who knew how to play and asked them to teach me. And I now play it regularly and it is very fun and it's not just for kids. Exactly. Now, but clearly for at least what we're going to see for Mike and Dustin or Mike and Lucas rather, it's not what they're feeling like doing and maybe not to the like level of how they used to play it. I mean, Will the Wise is so amazing. He's got his whole like outfit and it's just, yeah. I know. I mean, honestly, he puts our game. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then Hopper is working his way through a hangover when just Joyce like drops in and she is full bore on her, you know, theories about the magnetism, whereas Hopper is bitter about having been stood up uh, last night. And he is not thrilled that she has been learning from Mr. Clark, whose first name I can't remember right now, but the way she just like so casually drops that she was hanging out with him last night. (laughs) Right. Instead of uh, (laughs) at the date with Hopper is... I know when Hopper's like, so let me get this straight. You stood me up so that you could go over to Scott Clark's house. And Joyce was like, yeah. Like, (laughs) she's like, what are you not getting here? I'm telling you. I was at Scott Clark's house. We looked at magnetic fields. Like, what is your problem? (laughs) Um, So, but she's just so, I mean, her determinism is what has led Joyce to be the ass kicker she is over 2.5 2.5 seasons already um yeah. so she has decided she's gonna go see the lab and is gonna go do it by herself if um hopper isn't going to help and so even though he is furious he ends up taking along because he is a good human deep down inside yes he is and i thought that he brought up some like somewhat poignant facts uh when he was like doing his diatribe to Joyce. oh me too yes i definitely and... want to talk about that more because like his emotions were very open there and it was a um, because i have felt and i don't i think we can talk about that after too but to a certain extent i'm like how have have these people not left hawkins like i would have right. sold my house <laughs> and be so far away from this place at this point i and know I, I think this episode at least somewhat gets into that. I agree. And uh, yeah, like I really feel like even though I don't love the way he handled this whole thing, uh, it, you know, I think that he has a point about, um, you know, Joyce being somewhat scared or reluctant to enter into a relationship with Hopper because of everything that's going on. He is Very not much. right, however, about her simply inventing things to be worked up about uh, because Correct. we know that she has a very clear point about the Magnus. She is, in fact, right, as she usually is. So, And that's just um, a little bit, like, after everything, it's like everybody... Yeah, I know that, like, the willing blindness here has got to be a coping mechanism, and I'm willing to accept it. Like, I'm not annoyed by it, but at the same point, I'm just like, this is a woman who figured out how to talk to her son in the Upside Down via Christmas lights. Like, when she tells you something's up, like, she's not being a crazy mom, you know? Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, listen. (laughs) Even these newspaper people, you had a, even if you don't know what really happened, you had a lab kill two people, you know? It's not... Maybe everybody should be paying a little bit more attention. Yep. Agree. So I'm glad that he ends up going with her to the lab because as we see, it is uh, not for nothing because Joyce is right. Um, Okay. So Ellen and Max are on their way to Max's house to find Billy to investigate what Elle saw in her in her vision in the black space. So Ella's convinced that something horrible happened uh, when she was seeing Billy, but Max thinks that maybe Al was seeing happy screams, <laughs> which, 
Max does not get into, but offers to lend Elle her mom's copy of Cosmo. Uh, which Do you think that there's an episode where Hopper teaches Elle what sex is? Because if that is coming, then I just... Good God, I hope not. <laughs> going to cringe through the whole I thing. I mean, yeah. Cosmo is going to teach her uh, all she, she needs, to needs yeah. to know. She can do the quizzes and she can learn how to, you know, please her man in 10 easy steps. Oh, and good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good, good lessons, Cosmo. Yeah, healthy sex um, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so when they uh, get to Max's house and find it empty, they decide to search Billy's room. So ultimately, they do find some suspicious things, including a bathtub full of melted ice, a bloody whistle, presumably is Heather's, and then a lifeguard fanny pack, also Heather's. Uh, so I think that at this point, Max is pretty convinced that, yeah, something went down. What do you think is happening with the ice? I mean, I think that it has something to do with the... Um, you know, the mind flayer sort of acclimating into its new host body. You know, obviously we've seen that it is not good in heat and not good in the sun. Heat is ultimately what caused it to be expelled from Will's body uh, in season two, right? So, um, yeah, we know that the mind flayer doesn't. So it's more just after the process. So he like tied her up, you know, brought her to the warehouse and then probably brought her home and while the it was happening put her in this ice bath yeah i actually think that like i mean um i think that maybe when we saw billy at the pool immediately after his encounter with the mind flare like the night before and the sun was bearing down on him and he was hearing static and whatever i think that might have been billy like before he he acclimated and then he maybe did his ice bucket whatever and now the billy that we saw at heather's house oh yeah this is like fully integrated Billy slash mind flare and that you know he is no longer sort of struggling to yeah yeah struggling no flicker of of like struggle or recognition to like his sister shows up you know it's all yeah so I think that like I think that Billy is in there you know but I think that ultimately he's sort of a passenger and the mind flare is running the show somewhat now whereas before I think that what we were seeing was sort of Billy and the mind flare maybe um struggling for dominance within within Billy's body and so I think that the ice is a part of of the mind flare sort of making itself at home in in its host um, so Nancy is still, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, assuming that this pitch is going to be unmistakable, uh, in terms of its journalistic brilliance. And when she, Jonathan, not so sure, should be noted, when she pitches to that awful editorial board group of men, it does not go well. So even though she's uncovered, we learn several local businesses that have had supplies going missing related to fertilizers such as pesticides cleaning supplies diesel i think she says um Mm -hmm. nancy's boss is like this isn't a thing uh and of course they keep calling her nancy drew as a pejorative which first of all nancy drew is amazing and it is quite convenient that her name is nancy (laughs) so (laughs) it's like that might stick (laughs) um but her name is nancy she's like an investigative journalist and nancy drew is amazing so you know what thank you for the compliment correct room of dicks positive yeah um so you were right jess Uh, it seems as if you know like my fertilizer theory was not on the mark but yours was it's maybe the chemicals that are in the fertilizer and i mean it seems to be chemicals in general that uh that is going missing that the rats are feeding on and not just rats spoiler alert for later in the episode (laughs) oh yes uh yeah so i mean are we still thinking knowing this that it's some kind of sustenance that for the mind flayer that is i do think that it may not be related to the organic matter crop idea like we had been speculating but yes there's gonna be some sort of like i don't know like does that lead to some additional concerns around you know, obviously these are flammable, combustive properties that all of these things are consuming. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. But yes, chemicals for some reason. 
Um, okay, so at the ice cream shop, Robin is putting her foot down on free samples <laughs> with uh, Erica, Lucas's sister, because she has had enough. That's uh, right. And meanwhile, <laughs> Steve and Dustin are staking out the food court looking for suspicious Russian activity. Uh, and I love Dustin's description that he's like, you know, blonde, tall, earpiece, duffel yeah, bag, duffel you know, bag, Russian, Russian stuff. Um, so Steve is actually a terrible spy because he is very distracted <laughs> by girls. And Dustin rightfully points out that Steve has the perfect girl right in front of him in Robin, but Steve insists that he is not interested. Which, I mean, Dustin, I think, is wise beyond his years to point out oh, yes. that Steve is still very much hung up on a high school mentality where he is looking for the popular girl and he's yeah. looking for someone who's going to make him look cool by dating instead of looking for someone who he is actually interested in. Like exactly. Robin. And here he is spending his, well, I guess it's not really his free time. I believe he's being paid by Scoop Soy. Yeah, that's right. He is in uniform. So. Yeah. But, um, you know, with a younger kid who, this is this like the shit he loves. And you've got a girl who's just as into it right in front of your eyes. Like, yeah. I mean, he's at this point, he's just willfully blind to this whole situation. But clearly there's some handholding later. So things are changing. Yes. Um. So back in Mike's basement, this is the scene we kind of referenced earlier. The D and D is happening very lacklusterly on the behalf of Mike and Lucas. They're not taking it seriously. They clearly think it's childish. Um. And when the phone rings, you know, Mike rushes to answer it, thinking that it's L, which it isn't. Um. And then when they try to resume the game, basically Mike like says that he'll sacrifice everybody ending it prematurely and kind of like jokes around and we'll just this is what his breaking point ultimately is and we see that fight where there's this conversation about them not being kids and where mike says that will isn't into girls um and will bikes home in this horrendous you know storm thunder and lightning um at the end of this fight which is sad and yeah not safe for many reasons so back at the pool, Max and Elle are trying to track down the owner of the fanny pack. So they speak to the manager who tells them that it belongs to a lifeguard named Heather, but she did not show up to work that day. Uh, so the girls steal a picture of Heather so that Elle can find her with her powers. And then in the black space, Elle has another terrifying experience where she uh, sees the address where Heather is, finds Heather in a bathtub full of ice, and then Heather begs Elle for help before oh. like being pulled away beyond Elle's reach. Like, do, in, like, what are your thoughts on I know. the way that Heather was like, pulled into the deep like that you know it's like it looks like she's drowning you know like and then you got this like watery surface in that black space i mean if that black space is kind of the in between between our world and the upside down is it just a visual representation of her truly being pulled you know at least her like soul or something you know what i mean being pulled into the upside down because next time we see her she's clearly fully uh mind flayer occupied um right <laughs> whereas in this scene it's clearly really her um so like the real her is now stuck maybe in the upside down and been she's been replaced i don't mean yeah. physically but like yeah her mind and spirit uh, yeah i completely agree i felt like this was kind of like a visual representation of heather's like consciousness like becoming out of reach this was like yes. heather is no longer i don't know findable by by l in the black space because her consciousness is now buried and the mind flare has taken over that's sort of what i thought that this was yeah. representing right uh so then hopper and joyce arrive at the lab at night in a thunder and lightning storm to investigate <laughs> with flashlights like oh man this is scary and it's locked up tight. He has to cut the use bolt cutters to cut the lock off of it. It appears to be abandoned. There's the scene in the lobby where if we didn't remember how Bob died, we get a good reminder of him being like a bloody, bloody yeah, reminder. Punctured to death by the demo dogs, um, which, of course, is traumatizing for Joyce to be back there. 
Uh, and everything looks abandoned until, of course, we see a flashing red light on a security camera come alive. Yeah. So, like, do you think the Russians are in the lab using it somewhere? They must be, or maybe that guy is using it as a helpful, um, the guy we see later, like the Russian guy. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a large abandoned space. that, Like, whether or not they're using the technology that's available in the lab or accessing maybe some of the, because they, when they go to the basement, nothing is, everything looks right. very shuttered up. Like, nothing I looks know, like it's that, Honestly, that Russian goon is kind of a dummy. Because, yeah. like, wouldn't it have made more sense to just let Hopper and room? Joyce uh, inspect right. everything, uh, decide that there's nothing to worry about, and then leave unharmed and, like, out yeah. of you know, let the lab be out of their mind. Instead, this goon has just, like, confirmed that there is, in fact, something to be suspicious of. And Unless Hopper... they were close to discovering something else. Like, maybe. Maybe there's... I mean, why would you be there if you weren't trying to leverage something that the lab had set up? Yeah. May I was thinking, is it proximity to the old gate? Or, you know, is... Yeah, is it just the infrastructure that they need and somewhere in the lab they're, you know, they're they're set up or, I mean, I don't know. They would need to have uh, space, I would think, to set up whatever it is they're doing. Um, And Hawkins is a small town. There are probably relatively few places that could house them. Um, So I guess the lab makes sense, but maybe there are you know, unseen levels to the lab that, you know, are behind secret doors and paths. Or even files. Like I was, you know, is there information that's held there? I don't know, that they need. Yes. I did think too about like, there are these like workers who are rightfully upset because they've all lost their jobs um, in downtown stores because of the mall. And it did make me think like, what happened to all the workers at the lab? (laughs) I mean, did all of them just move out of Hawkins and be like, I'm going to find evil employment elsewhere. Uh, (laughs) None of them are like, fuck you, mayor. Yeah. Yes. Uh, So Dustin and Steve, they're still looking for Russians at the mall, and uh, Dustin spots someone who seems suspicious. He fits his description of blonde with a duffel bag perfectly, Uh, so they follow him not so subtly to his destination, which turns out to be a classic 80s jazzercise class. It's amazing. I mean, did women, like, I am really, like, interested to know whether everyday women actually wore those outfits. I remember going to like aerobics classes with my mom in the very late 80s, early 90s, and the thong one piece over the tights was a look in small town Ontario where I grew up. Dear so if it was God. something there, I feel like that in like, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, like I definitely did my mom's like Jane Fonda tapes when I was little and yep. they were all over those tapes for sure. But like, yeah. thank you for this confirmation because I did kind of always wonder, is this like just something that celebrity, uh, you know, aerobics right. uh, doers are wearing or just like, do like everyday people actually wear and a thong talk over about, like uncomfortable looking like right? even just to peel that off when sweaty like <laughs> and not flattering here's like, what we're yeah. gonna do we're gonna get a fabric that doesn't breathe <laughs> and then we're gonna put it on um uh, underneath a thong so that you can have the whole thing just shoved on up there and then we're gonna sweat for an hour how does that sound that's right it's gonna be great you're gonna love yeah. it yeah so luckily robin is having uh much more progress on her front because after receiving a delivery at the ice cream shop from a man wearing a uniform that has a silver cat on it she realizes that the coded message is referring to various stores and areas within the mall and she cracks that code this is always once that code has been cracked i'm always like that was so obvious (laughs) this was another moment where i'm like why did i not associate it with the mall which again i even said last episode is my favorite new character in the entire show and right. of course it's the mall like yeah i mean i nothing. think that 
maybe if you worked at that mall, then I would be like, you're right, Jess, you, you know, you should have gotten that code. But we had no idea what the names of the stores were in the mall or who the delivery person is. But yes, of course. But it's just a great, you know, uh, reference to this place where we're spending all of this time, you know, suddenly and we've got the people investigating at work there. Like it's like, oh, the puzzle pieces really came together there. And it's the perfect cover too, because if you're in a small town and someone just starts suddenly getting big shipments of stuff. Yes. And uh, I don't know, like maybe that would be noticeable. But if you if you funnel it through the mall, then like packages of merchandise arriving and being transported in large volumes is not something that's going to raise eyebrows. So now the men with um, machine guns may be a little overkill. Like I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I have to assume that there's a reason why they're doing it at night because (laughs) yes, I would be like, how expensive are those fucking shoes? Like (laughs) what is in this Chinese food that requires armed guards? Um, so back with Nancy at the Hawkins Post, she's being tormented by the awful men in her office. She's pranked with a toy rat. I have to say that exact same toy rat it runs around my office with regularity to freak people out as really? well. Oh, yeah. And we're constantly leaving it in each other's drawers and or like little areas. <laughs> it, it's gotten to a point where it's so common that no one's afraid of it anymore, <laughs> no matter where you find it. <laughs> Although oh, I do like taping again. it to a cupboard. That's a good one, actually. I might uh, I might try that one. If my colleagues are listening, <laughs> they now know. That is hilarious. Your, fun is, yeah. your work is more fun than mine. <laughs> um, so she has decided that if this group of morons just sees the proof of her story, then they'll believe it's worth publishing so she needs to get the rat that they left in the basement which we of course know turned into a pile of goo and walked away but they do not know that um jonathan is hesitant and at some point nancy makes some like crack about him being like his mom and i was very defensive about that i was like whoa Joyce has like solved the mystery for two years running here. Like let's let's give yeah, her exactly. Some she slack. doesn't worry <laughs> unnecessarily. Like <laughs> she had pretty good reason. That's right. You your best friend was stolen by the monster who stole Joyce's son. Like let's just all remember this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Remember Barb, Nancy. Remember oh. fucking Barb. The next time you get cocky about Joyce worrying too much. That's right. Um. So then maybe just quickly, so back at the lab, Hopper and Joyce make their way to that central hub that we saw where the gate used to be. And, you know, Hopper knocks on it. It does all look very shut down. And then this is where he has that conversation, uh, Kim, that you referenced earlier, that he really, I thought, put himself out there, especially for him to, he was very emotional sounding that he wants her to feel safe enough to stay in Hawkins. And he has heard that she is planning to sell her house. and. Um, that unlike, of course, it's easy to forget that Hopper lost a daughter, right? So unlike his experience when that happened, um, you know, Joyce has people who understand what she went through and who care about her. And I think he's like, aka me, right in front of you here. Yes. Um, But that moment is ultimately interrupted by the noise elsewhere in the lab. But I just, I thought it was a great insight into this, like, you know, he often doesn't let those emotions like the you, what she was trying to tell him to do when talking to Elle. And he finally found a way to kind of put himself out there. I agree. I think that this was really heartfelt. I think that he made some great points. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciated, though I'm sure Hopper did not. Uh, Joyce's attempted a joke when he was like, there are people yeah. who care about you. And she was like, you mean Scott Clark? <laughs> <laughs> The look on Hopper's face afterwards was actually really adorable when he was like, you know, it was a face that said, like, I can't help it, but I love you, you know? (laughs) He's like, you drive me bonkers, but love. Yeah, for sure. And then she's conscious enough to make that joke, I think, is really telling, you know, like, she seems very unaware and it's like, nope, she's very aware of everything that's going on. You know, I kind of claimed last time that she was probably a bit naive, but I think you're right that she's... She's purposefully 
not dealing with it for reasons of well i mean she just walked through the place where bob died and it really affected her and understandably so you know yeah um and i thought hopper didn't really appreciate that <laughs> when they walked right. in the he's building like, he's like he's like what's wrong joyce everything okay was the last time you were here was it when your boyfriend was murdered oh right yeah is it murder if it was he was killed by demo dogs it was i mean they couldn't help themselves that was like Mind flare murder. Anyway, he died. And died that's violently and horribly. <laughs> I mean, like, I really think that this scene was put there just to hit home how uh, fruitless Bob. my <laughs> my wish for Bob to somehow come back from the dead really is yeah. because he was. It's gross. Yeah. Um. So still in the middle of a torrential downpour, Mike and Lucas uh, arrive at Will's house to apologize and check on him after the big fight that he and Mike had, Um. you know, just just a little while before. But Will isn't in the house. He is in Fort Byers. Uh, Castle Byers. Which, Castle it's Byers. Even more right. impressive. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so we know, of course, how important this uh, this fort is to mm. Will from season one. This is where he hid out when he was in the Upside Down. And uh, so we really kind of hits home how hurt and angry he is when he decides to tear up all of his pictures of his friends and take a baseball bat uh, to the fort. Uh, itself and uh, you know maybe to your point Jess like maybe this is not just a struggle with his friends growing apart and losing friendships but maybe to your point about the uh, the comment that was made by Mike maybe he's having a larger struggle in 1985 yeah. of coping with his own feelings uh, you know if he is in fact uh, uh, not interested in girls but interested in boys or both or whatever um but uh in any case he's definitely going through it here and he sort of collapses into uh into tears in the rain with his fort collapsed around him and it's terrible and it is good to see him exhibit emotions because it has always felt that while the show revolves around will in so many ways he's also like this non-present character a lot we talked about this last episode as well so this was a real insight into him having real feelings and real emotions and actual reactions and he can let it slide to a certain point and then he can't you know and and he's reached a breaking point and understandably so but it was very sad um so then nancy and jonathan arrive at mrs driscoll's we already talked about this but they ultimately find her in her basement Eating a pile of fertilizer. What oh, the fuck? God. And she looks okay, the we same. Need to talk so about this. yeah, what do you think happened here? Like she, right? She doesn't look, I don't know, different yet. Maybe she's going to explode and turn into a pile of goo. Uh, but, that was my question. I yeah. I agree. Like I think that she is going to be goo. I don't <laughs> think that this is uh, a process that like the body snatched people like Heather and Billy go through, especially yeah. because of the noises yes. that were coming from her, um, yeah. which was very reminiscent of the noises that were coming from the rat that right. I think that she is about to explode into goo. Um, but I don't know what must have happened to her to make her in the goo pile camp instead of in the body snatched camp. Like, uh, whatever is impacting the rats, uh, must be impacting her as well. In which case, like, what is that thing? So do you think it's like viral? You know, she was close to the rats, caught the rat, therefore she's infected with it. Or do you think it's like the location of her house? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think that that could very well be it. Like the viral thing is something that came up in the past. Like in season two, the mind flare was described as a virus that was infecting things. And and in the lab, Paul Reiser's character described it as a virus or whatever. So it could very well be that. Um, But then at the same time, it's like, you know, it can't necessarily be touch or like a bite or something that would have infected her necessarily if it's the same thing that's infecting the rats because the rats were it's some kind of unseen force that is drawing them to the mind flare and that is um causing them to burst into goo without any visible uh you know touch or yeah it's more kind of spontaneous like physical style. infection yeah yeah i don't know Maybe that's part of it, though. Like, so I mean, I just made a joke earlier about 
combustibles. <laughs> like they're eating <laughs> petrochemicals and then they ultimately, I don't think that if you eat fertilizer, you explode. Like I recognize that that is not a science thing, but combined <laughs> with whatever this virus is, it feeds the ability to combust. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, yeah. And that's why they're like consuming all of this stuff so that they, I don't know. Anyway, it's not going to be good either way for Mrs. Right. Driscoll. Like, I... But if this can affect people, because we uh, like we suggested in the last episode that maybe the reason why the mind flare is focusing on rats instead of focusing on people is to somehow sort of throw throw its uh, enemies off of its trail, meaning of course like Hopper and L, um, by not alerting it to its to the fact that it's here because uh, it is not uh, like killing people that are going missing and then going to cause suspicion because of course like Billy and Heather are seemingly alive and well. So, but if the rat goo exploding uh, is something that can happen to people as well, then like all of that goes out the window. <laughs> like maybe the mind flare well, doesn't give a shit. Yes. Although I think that this is starting to be the transition of phase two or whatever, you know, like, is it starting to, if it's got this whole plan that involves what Billy and Heather are doing, like they're amassing their army. So we know that Heather's dad runs the newspaper. I don't think I made that connection yet. Um, So high profile people are starting to be brought into the fold while I recognize they're going to present as normal humans, quote unquote. But Mrs. Driscoll is probably also still a relatively safe target. If you exclude yes. the fact that Nancy has been investigating her, she is an elderly lady who lives alone. Her disappearance might not be noticed. You know what I mean? Like, I, I almost yes, think I that do. that's part of what's happening here. So maybe it's like, it's smart enough to know to go after people who... The more vulnerable people on the fringes a little more. Right. Yeah, I think that right. that makes sense. Except for yeah. Nancy. Nancy Drew is investigating. Also, Nancy's investigative journalism. Like, I love how she's just like... When uh, they're worried about Jonathan's like, I don't think we should go in. He, she might be out. She's like, she's 81 and it's raining. <laughs> she's yeah, crazy. exactly. She's, she's at home. Yeah. <laughs> There's nowhere else where she would be. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I Every. do. I love um, I love Nancy's confidence. I love her ballsiness. Sometimes as as with uh, the scene that we just saw where she was very confidently pitching her story and then gets laughed out of the room. Sometimes her confidence might be a little bit uh, a little bit misplaced or she has faith in the wrong people. But like she's confident for a reason because, you know, she is pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I do hope that at some point we're away from, well, clearly things in the newspaper are about to change because there's going to be a, like, demon person in charge of the newspaper. Right. So <laughs> this is about to get very different, more demonic than he currently is. Um, but, you know, she's just, like, right now her story arc has been her investigating and or being slapped around by a bunch of misogynistic guys. So it'd be nice to, like, go beyond that. But I do think that that is exactly what seems to be indicating that it is happening. Right. I actually think that, you know, once more and more people become sort of body snatched, I mean, think of the way that um, Billy treated Max before he went crazy psychopath and actually like attacked Heather's parents with her. Yeah. He was so much nicer than he had ever been as the real Billy. And I think that to a certain extent, people are going to sort of level out at least yeah. um, uh, on an outward appearance basis that they're not going to have crazy extremes of emotion or that sort of thing. They're going to be like very nice and um, very even keeled and they're going to win over people's trust. And then of course they're going to attack them and bring them to the mind flare to be infected yeah, themselves. Agreed. And so like, you know, which is of course, again, still very invasion of the body snatchers where instead of people seeing uh, like, a lot of outward showing of emotion and that sort of thing. More and more people are just sort of um, shells of themselves, more robotic, more, you know, 
more body snatched. <laughs> so I think we might see a little bit of that, which at the um, onset might actually make things better for Nancy at work. And that might be what al alerts her to the fact that something isn't right, is that if all of the heckling and misogyny suddenly goes away, and I doubt that they would encourage her to pursue this story still, because obviously the mind flare isn't going to want her to like out it. Yeah. But I think that maybe she is going to recognize changes in her horrible uh, co-workers and that, you know, makes her suspicious of something bigger that's going on. Yeah, it's definitely going to all come together. So, yeah, that's true. Yes. Um, so Dustin, Steve, and Robin, they're on the roof of the mall, uh, watching the Russians make some kind of delivery. So this is obviously where uh, Robin's cracked code has taken them. So they know the specific time and they know what to look for. And we see the armed guards, etc. cetera. Uh, they are unfortunately not all that subtle. <laughs> so they draw some attention from an armed guard. They squabble over the binoculars, you know, like I that's know. <laughs> what gets them noticed by men in, with machine guns. Like, let's focus on the end goal here, people. That's right, exactly. But it does result in some hand-holding between Steve and Robin, so I'm not mad at that. Uh, and then ultimately they're able to get away uh, unnoticed. So they have confirmed their Russian uh, theory that there is evil Russian stuff happening. But of course, they don't know what's in the boxes. They're thinking weapons or chemical weapons or, you know, things of that nature. But I think that it's probably something you know, uh, equally insidious, but uh, more science fiction-y than what they're right. thinking currently. <laughs> uh, then we're back with Hopper and Joyce, and he's investigating, Hopper's investigating the mystery noise when he's surprised by that Russian goon that we've seen for the past two episodes. Was he? Yeah, the first episode where he killed the failed scientist, and then, of course, last episode we saw him in the restaurant. Uh, Hopper is, gets his ass kicked. Uh, it is Yes, he does. Some time at the gym, Hopper, would maybe make you a bit more reactive in a fight. Um, <laughs> and Joyce finds him. He's unconscious. And she sees this man get away in a in a motorcycle. Um, so Max and Elle arrive at the address that Elle saw in her vision of Heather. And they realize once they let themselves in, thanks to Elle's power, that it's actually Heather's house. So I think that they were expecting to find that she had been kidnapped or something yeah. like that. But... You know, they don't know, obviously, anything about uh, the mind possession of the mind flayers. So they're very shocked to find not only Billy having dinner with Heather's parents, but Heather herself is, you know, seemingly alive and well and offering them cookies. Uh, as we mentioned, Billy is almost overly nice to Max and is, you know, putting on quite the show for Heather's parents. They seem to like him quite a bit, but we know what the real Billy is like and it's not this. So, <laughs> um, so all part of the grand plan, uh, because Max and Elle leave confused about what just happened. And then, um, the mind flayer seems to recognize Elle, like by seeing her through Billy's eyes as the person, who's responsible for closing the gate the year before. So like it has this realization and we see Billy's like pupil dilate with this information. Yeah. And then and, like, that the flashback to that, yes. to actually seeing her doing that is very cool. Yeah, completely. Um, so uh, I, I, I think that this is kind of alluding to the new abilities that the Mind Flayer has by like being fully in this dimension versus right. in last season where it was only here sort of as a specter <laughs> yeah, or, like you know, like as part of Will's yeah. possession that it, it couldn't necessarily like see or recognize, you know, so it's only now seeing it with Billy's human eyes. I think that he's seeing who Elle is anyway. So like at the same time, there's this flash to Will who in, in the same moment seems to sense that the mind flare is back and tells Mike and Lucas who have found him by the fort that he is back. Yeah. So um, I had some thoughts uh, just about how maybe Will's ability to sense the mind flare might be able to work as like a, a detection of yeah. who has been possessed and who who is currently body snatched by the mind flare. So that because <laughs> Elle and Max couldn't tell, they didn't know that Billy and and Heather had a you know a other dimensional being controlling them. 
but maybe Will can just by being in the presence of these people. It's very true because I think until now, the way they've shot it, it looks like something's coming up on Will's back. And so you think that there's something right behind him. But this does seem to indicate that it's just something more broadly. And maybe he has some sort of connection that can be used for good. It's not that Will is necessarily in imminent danger. Obviously, everyone's in danger, but, you know, um, which is kind of how I had been interpreting it. But rather that he's able to tell when, like, big emotions are felt by the mind flare or like a big presence is felt yeah so that could be put to use because you're right the fact that l can't tell um and we've always relied on her ability to kind of sense these things she knows something's up obviously because of her ability to kind of what or what she has seen but she's not interpreting it at least not currently um as what it is yes uh so this episode ends with uh after max and l leave it leave billy and heather and the parents have like this normal stepford style dinner until heather's (laughs) mom begins to feel uh lightheaded which it turns out that billy has drugged her she collapses and when heather's dad um the editor of the post goes to uh look after her heather just like beans him with a wine bottle before drugging him yeah yeah, saying it'll all be over soon. And just the calculated movements of Heather and Billy here, like they're the possession, you know, acting like the possessed, it's really effective because they just they move super slowly and deliberately. They're not He's almost like casually yeah. dousing yes. a handkerchief with chloroform yeah. and yeah. you know, it's there is no struggle anymore no. to try to hold back the um the mind flare from doing these horrible deeds they are just fully in it (laughs) uh and heather still calls her father daddy i mean like it seems to me as if even though the mind flare is fully in charge and i said earlier that i think that like billy and heather are along for the ride but don't have any control over their faculties i think that the mind flare has full access to like their memories and like it's still them it's just them and the mind flare sort of combined and they have no uh, control of their actions i think rather than it being like the mind flayer has taken over their mind and billy and heather are gone entirely i think that it's yeah. sort of a hybrid but that they don't have a say in what their bodies are doing oh man so she says it'll all be over soon end credits and we have more possessed people running around hawkins clearly in episode four right so yeah I think that like more and more we're going to see the town start to uh, shift and that pretty soon it's going to feel like, you know, very few people beyond our core group are uh, people that can be trusted at face value. So I think it's going to be cool. And then I think that again, just like going back again, maybe like looking for connections that I want to be there. But like if they, if the um, dawn of the dead connection is, uh, is going to be a thing. I mean, maybe these people, the people who are body snatched come for the group in the mall at the end and they battle it out and somehow have to win without killing everyone in their, in their town and like saving them from possession. I am here for that epic uh, standoff, if that's what it comes to. Absolutely. No, it's very, you can kind of see some of the pieces coming together. And I'm sure by episode eight, we'll be like, no, that was not even close. So yeah, (laughs) exactly. We'll see see how it goes. So thanks, everyone, for making it through episode three of our recaps. A reminder, uh, as you sign off, if you can jump in and leave us a rating or review to help other people find the podcast, that would be great. And we will be back again tomorrow with episode four. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Kim. Okay. Bye. Bye.